Castle, Episode 377, for August 28, 2015. Ray, by Mario Milosevic. Rated PG-13. Hello and welcome to PodCastle. I'm Rachel K. Jones, your co-editor and host. And today, I want to talk about Ray Bradbury, that legendary speculative fiction author who wrote the Merchant Chronicles. He would have been 95 this week. Happy birthday, Ray! Today's story pays homage to Ray Bradbury, especially his book Something Wicked This Way Comes, which takes place at a carnival passing through the fictional city of Greentown. Now, Greentown is an analog in Bradbury's work for his childhood home, Waukegan, Illinois. In total, three of Bradbury's books are set in Greentown, forming the Greentown Trilogy. One of these books, Dandelion Wine, happens to be one of my favorite books of all time. Now, Dandelion Wine, if you haven't read it, is a low-stakes, magical realism book about summer 1929 in Greentown, told through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy named Douglas. Now, the problem with one of your favorite, favorite books being a low-stakes, magical realism book about summer 1929 in the fictional Greentown, as told through the eyes of a 12-year-old boy named Douglas, is that every time you try to convince a friend to read it, the moment you start describing the plot, you see people's eyes glaze over and you realize they think it sounds kind of boring, and they're humoring you. And on some level, you can't blame them. I mean, instead of pirates, you get grandmothers. Instead of unicorns, you get loving descriptions of tennis shoes. And you know what? You should read it anyway, because it's fan-friggin-tastic and it will make you glad to be alive. Now, today's story is also about life and death, small towns, teenage boys, and ghosts. Podcastle is very proud to present Ray by Mirio Milosevic. It was first published in Space and Time magazine's Spring 2013 issue. Mirio Milosevic is a prolific author of novels, short stories, and poetry. Find out more about him and his storytelling at MirioWrites.com. And it's read to you by Joe Scalora. Joe is no stranger to Podcastle. You last heard on episode 333, Argent Blood, and also on Podcastle Miniature 79, The Dolphin. So, touch the heart... Fill up on Ray, but just for an instant, it's the first time. And enjoy this story. Ray, by Mario Milosevic. You know that episode of MASH, the one where they have to pick up stakes, pack everything up, and move to another location? Me neither. I never watched that show. But Liz, who works the booth where people throw darts at balloons on a cork wall, and who is 30 years older than me has seen every episode of that show at least three times. She said every time we break down the rides and get ready to move on, she thinks about that episode. It's like Colonel Potter said they had to bug out because they were about to be in a shooting zone, and we bug out for the exact same reason. The same reason, I asked Liz. No one was going to be shooting at us, I was pretty sure. Yeah, she said. Because now that the carney's over, they don't want us in town, you know? They make it a hostile environment, so we'll leave them alone. They're scared, is what it is. They're scared of us, and they just as soon kill us as look at us. I wasn't quite seeing it, but I thought it best not to challenge her on the issue. 
When she told me this, I had been on the job only a couple of weeks, and we'd been to two fairs. We were packing up to move on to the next one, somewhere in the Columbia River Gorge. You got Ray all packed away yet? I asked. She patted the side of the trailer, folded up like a wrapped birthday present. Ray's always right here with me, she said. Your boyfriend, right? I said, grinning at her. Don't be a smartass, she said. It doesn't suit you. She was right. Truth is, the whole carny life didn't suit me. I was a truck driver, used to do long hauls across the country, pulling just about anything people wanted moved, from wood to food to furniture to liquid oxygen. Then the company I worked for went belly up, and I couldn't find another job to save my life, until I answered an ad looking for a driver for Rainbow Family Shows. They needed someone to drive their rides around from county fair to county fair for the summer. I thought it would be something to do until I found a real trucking job, so I applied and they hired me on. First thing I found out is there was much more to the job than driving. I had to set up the ride when we got to the site, I had to run the ride for the week, and then I had to break it down and fold it up when we were done, and then I had to drive it to the next fair. Not taxing work, but it got boring really quick. What didn't I like about working in the carny? Where do I start? For one thing, they all smoked like they had Mount St. Helens belching away in their bellies. For another, they stayed up all night drinking. And for another, they were the most superstitious bunch of weirdos I had ever seen. It wasn't just regular stuff like being absolutely sure to wear the same clothes when working a booth or holding on to a lucky penny for years. That's normal stuff that lots of people worry about. I'm talking about how the people that worked for Rainbow all thought there was a ghost that traveled along with the show. His name was Ray. It's for Bradbury, said Liz. Who's that? I said. Lordy boy, don't you ever have read a book in your life? Not a whole lot of them, I will admit. They didn't suit me, I guess. Why make up stuff when life was plenty strange enough already? But she made me feel like there was something wrong with me. So I said, sure, I read books. You never heard of Ray Bradbury? Something wicked this way comes? Should I have? She looked at me all suspicious-like. It's about this kid in a small town, and when the carnival comes, it turns out the guy who runs it is a real bad guy who wants to steal the kid's youth. I was damn sure I have never read anything like that. So you named your ghost after the guy. Not the guy, dummy. The writer. Okay, I said. The writer. But why? Why name your ghost after him? We don't steal youth from people. We take their money. She made like she was going to answer me, even opened her mouth to say something. Then she stopped and shook her head at me. I could explain it, she said, but I'm not sure it would be worth it for either of us. And she turned around and walked away, and I just stood there in the shadows, lights flashing around me while she floated away into the darkness. Everyone at Rainbow believed in Ray. When we came to a fair and set up, each and every carny, and there were thirty of us, all of them except me, would come to Liz's booth and put their hand on the counter where Liz had painted a heart with lipstick red paint. She said that's where Ray lived, and if you came and said hello to him, He'd give you luck for the week, such that you'd have lots of people to come to your game or ride, and they'd spend a lot of money. The first time I watched them file by and brush their hands over the heart, it was a strange sight. When they had all gone by, 
Liz looked at me like she wanted to say, well, what about you? I don't think so, I said. It's for good luck. No. Why not? I don't believe in it. I understand it works even if you don't believe in it. I laughed. She liked to twist things around and make you see them in a different way, but I still didn't put my hand on her painted heart. I don't get you, she said. I don't want to give your ghost any power, I said. You said you didn't believe in my ghost. She had me there. I have to get to my ride, I said. Just put your hand on the heart. It's no big deal. Make an old lady happy. I kind of wanted to. It wouldn't have meant anything, but I couldn't make myself do it. Later that night, things were not going so good for us. Not a lot of people coming to the fair. It started raining, which is never good for business. No one wants to walk around in the rain. My ride was a roller coaster. I think I got 20 kids the whole night. Round about nine, we started talking about closing early, and people were saying Ray wasn't happy with us. Ray was mad about something, and he was taking it out on us by ruining our business for the night. Crazy talk. I didn't participate. Then someone, I think it was Glenn, who worked the Ferris wheel. He said it was probably on account of I didn't say hi to Ray. It was my fault, and I was the new kid on the block, so suddenly I got very unpopular in a very big hurry. All the carnies looked at me like I was meat that had gone bad. It might have been the loneliest feeling ever in my life. Okay, okay, I said. I'll go say fucking hi to fucking Ray. I stepped away from the roller coaster and walked across the grass to Liz's booth and put my hand on the heart. I felt the solidified ridges where her brush had put down that crazy bright red paint and something went through me, like a shiver. I glanced up, not even sure what I expected to see, and saw Liz's eyes. She was looking right at me. The shiver didn't go away. It wasn't like a momentary thing. It lasted. It made me start to tremble. I shook like a flag flapping in the wind. Tell you the truth, I didn't know exactly what was happening. But Liz did. She smiled at me and lifted my hand off the heart. You want to just contact it for an instant, she said, especially the first time. When my hand came off the heart, the shivering and the shaking stopped, but the air felt cold and everything was spinning around, like I was on a carousel or something. I felt dizzy, and I thought maybe I was going to throw up or fall down. Something. What the fuck? I said, completely bewildered. That's Ray, she said. He'll be with you for the next day or so. You'll see. I didn't think much of Liz right then. I was sure she had rigged her counter to do something to me, something I didn't want done. I was not very nice to her right then. What did you put in that paint? I said. Nothing, she said. It's not the paint. It's Ray. Ray, 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 I said. There is no such thing as Ray. You're all crazy fucks if you think a fucking ghost lives in that heart. People stopped and looked at me. Some people who were going to play the dart game put down their darts and walked away from me. I didn't blame them. I would have walked away from me. Liz came around from behind her booth and put her arm around me. That felt better. It was like she knew something was wrong and she wanted to help. I don't know how, but I calmed down right after that. Liz stood with me for a while longer until I got my bearings. The world stopped spinning and I was able to walk back to my ride. Now here's the weird part. The rain stopped. 
business picked up. I got so many people wanting to take rides that I had a line snaking away from me all the way to the cotton candy stand. Carney smiled at me. That's Ray working for you, they said. Ray working for me. I still thought they were crazy, but it was strange that things weren't slow anymore. That night, lying awake in the back of my cab, I was so energized that I couldn't sleep, and that doesn't happen to me. I usually sleep like a rock every night. I got up and climbed down from my cab and walked across the field. It was almost two in the morning. The sky was clear and the stars were bright. I heard music on the other side and went that way and found half the carnies there. They had put a bunch of picnic tables in a big circle and some of them were sitting at the tables drinking beers and some others were inside the circle dancing. The music was coming from a big boombox. Liz was at a table next to Glenn with her head on his shoulder. Glenn saw me and lifted his beer. Liz opened her eyes and waved me over. I sat down next to her. Ray keeping you awake, she said. Guess so, I said. I'm sorry I let you leave your hand on him so long, she said. Most people, they can't take much Ray all at once. You did okay, kid. I'm proud of you. I did okay? I was ready to puke my guts out. But you didn't, said Glenn. That's the important thing. Liz elbowed him. Be nice to the newbie, she said. It would have been fine if he puked. We've all puked at one time or another. Glenn lifted his eyebrows as if to say, whatever, but he remained silent. Someone walked by and tossed me an unopened beer. I caught it and twisted it open. Beer sprayed out of the top, spattering Liz's hair and Glenn's mustache and putting a good soaking onto my shirt. They didn't seem to care, so I didn't either. I took a swallow. I don't know why. I loathe beer. Have never been able to stand it. But that night seemed a good night to make an exception. I took another swallow, and as I put the bottle down, something went splat on the picnic table next to me. Everyone looked around except me. I looked in the direction of the splat. Someone had thrown something at us. Some kind of meat. It looked like a chicken, but I wasn't sure. It smelled awful. Then more rotten food rained down on us. Vegetables, old coffee grounds, rotten slimy banana peels. The carnies crouched down and tried to cover their heads. Hey, assholes! Voices from the darkness around us sounded like teenagers, male, then laughter. Liz grabbed my arm and pulled me away. What's going on? I said. Local kids, she said. Sometimes they don't like us being here. Think the guys are interested in their girlfriends. Are you kidding? I said. Nope. And we just put up with it? Come on. I followed her across the grounds in the direction of her booth, but I looked back. The carnies had all run into the darkness, like meteors streaming away from the center of the sky, and they were chasing the kids away. I heard hooting and derisive shouts, then they were gone. Should we go and clean up? I said. No. She said, don't you get it? Get what? You've got too much ray in you. We can't let you chase after the locals right now. Why not? Think about it. If you caught up to one of them, what would you do? Nothing. I wouldn't even catch up to them. They'd just run away is all. Liz stopped and turned to me. Now I want you to think very carefully. What would you do? The thing about Liz's eyes was how they didn't move. She didn't blink when she looked at you. 
I don't know how she did that, but it made her seem more real than she was. She'd made me see into myself in a way I wouldn't have otherwise, and I suddenly had this vision of myself. I was running along a dark path and was chasing a kid. Not a kid, really. More a teenager. Like someone 18 years old, and he was terrified, running from me for all he was worth. Like his life was in danger, and I ran just as fast, and I caught up to him and grabbed his collar and yanked him down so he fell skidding to the ground. Then I stood over him and bent down and punched him. Not once or twice, but a lot of times, until my knuckles were broken and his face was bloody. Now understand, I never get into fights. I avoid them. I walk away from confrontations whenever I can. This was not something I would do. Ever. Yet I wanted to. I felt I could have and I would have, given the opportunity. I blinked out of my vision and Liz was still there, smiling at me. Ray, she said. No, I said. You put that vision in my brain. You made me think it. It's Ray, she said, so softly that I thought it wasn't even her. It was the breeze around me. No, I said, no. Go to your cab, she said. Get some sleep. I turned my attention back to the picnic tables. No one was there anymore. I didn't hear any kids and the music had been turned off. I saw Glenn approach. He nodded at me and kept walking. The night felt too cloying. I needed to get out of the air, out of the carny environment. I did as Liz said and returned to my cab and tried to get to sleep. I heard sounds outside like animals. I fell asleep after what seemed like a long time and was almost instantly awakened in what seemed just a few minutes later but must have been much longer because the sun was up in the sky and streaming through my window. What woke me was a heavy pounding on the door of my cab. I pushed it open and stood shivering in the morning air. A cop stood looking up at me. Yeah, I said. Could you come down from there, sir, she said. I stepped down onto the ground. What's going on? We're investigating a missing person and need to ask you a few questions. Who's missing? A local boy. Where were you last night? I told her about the garbage and that we chased off the kids. She nodded like she had heard the story before, and I figured she must have asked other carnies the same thing before she came to my cab. And you went right here immediately after? You didn't go anywhere else? No. You didn't hear anything strange? Strange like what? Anything at all? No, I said. She handed me her card. I took it and she told me to remain in the area. We were supposed to be at the fair for another three days, so I wasn't going anywhere for a while. None of us were. I went to find Liz. She was already at her booth getting it ready. She lifted up the sunscreen and locked it into place. Hey, I said. Hey, right back at you, she said. What's with this missing kid? It's got nothing to do with us, she said. But whenever something happens and we're in town, they always think we got something to do with it. We got bad mojo, don't you know? What about those kids last night? What about them? They all get away okay? How should I know, she said. They were punks. I don't spend time worrying about punks, do you? Did Ray do something to them? Ray? Are you kidding? No. So now you're a believer all of a sudden? Just tell me, I said. Tell you what, she said. 
that Ray reached out of my counter, she put her hand on the heart, and crushed some kid because he threw a rotten chicken at us? Something like that, I said. You must think we're pretty awful people, she said. No, I... You must think we eat small children. Roast them on a spit. Is that it? I put up my hands and stepped away. She had turned from normal to angry in a heartbeat. I took another step and bumped into someone and fell back. Before I could hit the ground, I felt hands grab me by the armpits and lift me up. This guy giving you a hard time? Glenn's voice. I pulled away and turned to face him. He was grinning. I didn't grin back. He's okay, said Liz. Worried about that missing kid. Yeah, the lady cop came and talked to me. I was as polite as my carny nature allowed me to be. Which wasn't all that much, was it? said Liz. What do you think? said Glenn. They laughed. Then Glenn brushed his hand across Liz's painted heart and stepped away from her booth and returned to his Ferris wheel. You want more Ray? said Liz. If I don't, what'll happen to me? You won't be one of us, said Liz. I can live with that. Can you? I was sure that I could. I did not put my hand on the heart. I took no ray that morning. I went back to the roller coaster. We all put in a long day of relieving the locals of their money. I felt hostility toward me from everyone, including Glenn and Liz. Maybe it was real, and maybe it wasn't. I couldn't tell. That night after we had shut down, Liz came to me. The kid's still missing, she said. Yeah, I said. We think we know where he is. Okay. You want us to help find him? I wasn't at all sure that I was. I told her so. We're not evil people, said Liz. Why do you want to find that kid? Because he's someone's son. Because he's just a kid. Because he can still learn better. The carnies had gathered around me and Liz. Two dozen of them. Mostly pot-bellied and fat-faced. Mostly tattooed. They almost all had stained and tattered t-shirts, and they all smiled. Several were missing teeth. They all had soft eyes. The kind that had been through some pain, but had come out of it with at least some of their souls still intact. I wanted to dislike them, every one of them, but I couldn't. It was impossible. They weren't there to intimidate me or make me something I was not. They just wanted me to see the truth. They all went to the painted heart. And this time they put their hands down for longer than an instant. Each one counted from one to ten, then removed their hands. They were all filling up on Ray. When they turned from the heart, their faces were shining with joy. Yes, joy. There was nothing else to describe it. When they were all finished, they stood before me, and without saying a word, they made it clear that they were inviting me to join them. They were asking if I was ready. I admit to some confusion at that moment. What did I want from them? What did they want from me? But something about their way of being present swayed me. I stepped forward decisively and put out my hands. They parted for me, revealing the painted heart on Liz's counter. I put my hands, both hands, firmly down on the ridged paint and held them there for a long count of ten. During those ten seconds I had visions. I saw me reaching for the boy, and instead of pummeling him and putting him on the ground, I saw myself pulling him out of the water, out of a lake, like he had fallen into the depths and was not able to get out on his own. When I pulled my hands away from the heart, 
All the carnies looked at me. Water, said Glenn. Water, I answered. They all nodded, like they had the same vision, and we all walked as a group toward the edge of the field where a growth of blackberries had given cover to the garbage throwers the night before. Behind the blackberries, a creek flowed and emptied into a cove some distance away. We followed the bank of the creek. Liz walked beside me. Ray can be mean, she said, but he can be kind, too. Sometimes we need one and sometimes we need the other. Tonight's the kind. We came to the cove and waded into the water. It was cold. I got shivers like the first time I touched the painted heart. Panic seized me for an instant, but only an instant. I suddenly knew I was with friends. We had formed a circle in the water, all of us knee-deep in the tiny waves. I was new to the power of Ray. I didn't know what he could do, so I waited for something. Some kind of sign or a movement. The air was cool. A stillness all around me made me think of a painting. We were part of that painting. Only it wasn't completely still. There was an inner motion. It lived in each of us, and it was in all of us. Presently I looked down at the water that we had surrounded. Nothing was there at first. Then slowly, as though we were pulling out a fish, a person emerged from out of the water. A young man, perhaps sixteen, maybe seventeen. He came up from the waves the way a cork bobs on water. He floated there with his hands crossed over his chest. We bent down and lifted him up and walked him over to the bank where we placed him on the grass. Then we stepped back. As I write this now, putting it down so I will have some concrete evidence that it really did happen, exactly as I am saying, I can hardly believe the words. Perhaps you, reading them, have the same response. I don't blame you. Did the young man drown in the cove, and did we bring him back from the dead? I can't say. I don't know. I don't think any of us knew then or learned later. It was simply what we did that night. What we had to do. The young man did not require CPR, or indeed, any medical treatment of any kind. He blinked his eyes open a short time after we released him, and then he sat up, holding his head in his hands. He looked at us, all of us who had stepped away a respectful distance from him. Liz spoke. Are you okay? He thought about it for a long time. No one rushed him. No one showed the least bit of impatience. I think so, he said. He tried to smile at us, but it came out all crooked, like he didn't know how to smile. Sorry about the rotten chicken, he said. Think nothing of it, said Glenn. Everyone makes mistakes when they're young. I reached out for his hand. He took mine, and I helped him rise to his feet. He stepped away from us, walking backwards. I don't know what I would have thought if I was in his position but he seemed to understand that we had helped him in some way he could not understand completely. He turned from us and disappeared into the night toward town. Liz took my arm and guided me back toward the rides and the booths. We stood at her booth in front of the Red Heart. I know what you want to say, she said. You do? I said. Sure. Go ahead. I believe she did know. I don't know how but I'm sure she did. I said exactly two words. Thanks, Ray. 
and welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Wow, Ray giveth and Ray taketh away, don't he? What did you think? Come tell us on our forums at forum.escapeartist.net or on our Facebook page. And now it's time for the episode feedback. This week we're talking about episode 367, The Washerwoman and the Troll by Julian Mortimer Smith, read to you by M.K. Hobson. This story was generally well received, with many commenters marking on the dark, Grimm's fairy tale vibe. Some found this depressing, while others enjoyed it. Fenrix made a sharp multimedia connection, saying, Something the story strongly reminded me of was Brian Froud's artwork of the Fae. This whole story was painted in his style. His art books demolished any concept of nice fairies more thoroughly than anything else. Meanwhile, Shane Hallbach said, One thing that always struck me about the original fairy tales is that there was just this sense of surrender. The world was bleak and terrible, unpredictable and untamable. People just suddenly dropping dead, or being devoured by something unknowable, or being unspeakably cruel to each other was just the way the world was. Forget complaining about it. It was almost not even worth remarking on. And most of the world was so unfathomable and awful that it was easier to believe in cruel fae toying with you for their own pleasure rather than a vast, uncaring universe. At least toying with you is a motivation. Thank you for those comments. Stop on by and let us know what you thought of today's story. And while you're at it, consider making a donation. Every single cent goes toward paying our authors so we can keep bringing you the best fantasy fiction week after week. And if you can't donate consider blogging or tweeting about us and spreading the word. Well, that was our show this week. On behalf of everyone at PodCastle, our slushers Arunjiwa, Sarah Goldman, Jennifer Albert, Melissa Hooflich, Kalita Muhammad Ali, our audio producer Peter Wood, our forum moderators Talia and Ossicat, your editors Graham Dunlop and myself, thanks for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is Rachel K. Jones reminding you that Ray can be mean, but he can be kind, too. Our closing quote comes from Ray Bradbury, who said, Hold summer in your hand. Pour summer in a glass. A tiny glass, of course. The smallest tingling sip for children. Change the season in your veins by raising glass to lip and tilting summer in.